0: Hi everyone, in the second episode of this series we spoke to The Athletic's Crystal Palace correspondent, Matt Wiesner, about his own mental health, and mental health in football in general. As ever, if you enjoy the episode, please give it a rating. Hi Matt, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, so to start with, do you think you could just talk a little bit about what your relationship with with mental health looks like?
1: Yeah, so I sort of suffer from anxiety, um, which I think you know is quite a common thing. But um, you know, I sort of, you know, uh, yeah, I, have, I basically have anxiety. Um, when I was younger, I sort of kind of had depression really um, for for a little bit, and then I think that kind of as I got older, I kind of Dealt with that side of things, and it and it kind of became anxiety, really. Um, I suppose when I was younger, sort of, I suppose I really sort of first started to know about, you know, or started to experience what would have been, you know, sort of depression or you know, mental health issues when I was sort of, I guess, around 12, 13. Um, you know, I would often sort of fight with my brother but like obviously all you know everyone fights with their brother but it'd just be yeah, like non-stop yeah I would be so angry like I had a lot of anger in me um I wouldn't express it outwardly um, but you know I had a lot of sort of internal anger in me um, and and that kind of was the start of depression really as I got older like in, into my sort of later teens um, that just became sort of depression. Um, and I suppose anxiety as well within that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think really it kind of developed from there. Um, and like the anxiety is, is sort of, you know, been with me for as long as I can remember. Um, and I think it's just really about dealing with it. Um, I think for me it's a lot of it is quite situational. Um, you know, that, that kind of makes me then question, you know, do I really have anxiety and, and things like that? But, you know, ultimately I you know, it, it, it's there. And, you know, it is very much situational. You sort of overthink and you sort of question yourself a lot and sort of have a lack of self-confidence sometimes. Like, am I doing this right? Is that okay? What happens if I do this? You know, sort of avoiding situations. Um, you know, stuff like that, really. Um, you kind of typical sort of anxiety triggers, really. Um, I I try to sort of deal with it and manage it as best I can. Um, And and unfortunately, I I, I suppose you could call it sort of high functioning anxiety. Um, You know, I don't, it doesn't stop me from doing loads of things. Um, I I probably don't do as much as I otherwise would. I'm probably not as outgoing as I would be. but, you know, and, and also, like, at work as well, you know, as, as a journalist, obviously, you're talking to people a lot of the time. I enjoy talking to people. I love talking to people. It's, you know, really good. But it's that whole, like, unknown, the intolerance of uncertainty. Um, you know, you're calling up people who don't know who you are and you're trying to get something from them. You're trying to talk to them either to get some information from them or to do an interview with them, arrange an interview and it's like you, know, you just get that moment of absolute terror um when you call them to be honest with you um it, when they pick up and, and you're speaking to them it kind of just takes over and, and you kind of can slightly forget about it but your heart's racing and you know it, it's quite difficult sometimes um to sort of get that initial um confidence up to actually make that call and Ask those questions because you're always wondering what happens if I ask this, what if I go, it's wrong, you know, what if he sort of doesn't like me or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, it's it's like that really. So, um, it, it's quite difficult at times, but I manage.
0: How did you kind of come to find those those coping strategies and stuff?
1: I'm not really sure to be honest. Like, I personally find talking to people helps me a lot. I'm quite an open person, well, a very open person. I'll talk to people and tell them how I feel. Um, if I see like injustice, then I'll call out injustice and, and things like that. So I'm very much someone who will, you know, what you see is is kind of what you get, I suppose, to use a cliche. Um, so I suppose talking to people helped me to like develop those mechanisms. Um, I like to go for a walk. Um, I, I kind of end up. Without even being conscious of it. When I was younger, I think I would consciously go for a walk to clear my head. Whereas now it's kind of almost unconscious. Like if I feel like I'm getting anxious, then you know about maybe something in particular, then I'll go for a walk. Um, you know, exercise is is obviously something that people that, that you know health professionals recommend, and and is definitely a good thing to do. And you know that's something that you should definitely do if, if you can. Um, but I think, you know, for me, the main thing is just to talk to people and, and kind of to get that reassurance. I mean, there is a limit to, to how much you, you can, you know, seek external reassurance. You do need to have internal reassurance, um, and, and learn to reassure yourself, but ultimately sometimes that's not possible. So you do, you know, go to other people. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate in, you know, in my job, like I've got, you know a really good team of editors who really understand and and who I can talk to uh, my manager in particular um you know she's brilliant Laura Williamson um you know I've, I can you know open up to her and and tell her sort of how I feel and and what I'm feeling and you know it, it helps a lot uh she's very understanding and you know really good at guiding me and and knowing sort of what to say and, and when to sort of push me and you know, when to encourage me and, and that really helps um, in a work capacity. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I said really, talking to people is is my main sort of coping mechanism. Just, you know, telling people how I feel or, you know, getting a distraction. You don't always want to talk about how you feel. Um, you know, Ultimately, getting a distraction can be as, as helpful. But you do sometimes obviously need to deal with the underlying issue. Um, so I think just if the more you talk to people, the more other people might have similar experiences as well. Um, And that can help you too, to kind of have um, the same sort of coping mechanisms and and learn from them. And, you know, obviously, you know, if you do feel like you've got, if you do feel like you're anxious, then, you know, and and struggling with that, then you should seek medical help and and go to your GP or, you know, speak to a counsellor or, you know, whatever it is, you know, I think you should just open up if you can. I know it's not easy for everyone, I find it easier than perhaps most people, but you know, ultimately that that's probably the best thing that, that you can do. Um just open up to people that you trust.
0: Have you ever had any more kind of formal help for this stuff, or has it been very much driven by you and, and finding the things that have helped you?
1: Yeah, I've had quite a lot of counselling um, over the years. Um I think the first time I had counselling was when I was at college. So I would have been, what, 16, 17. Um, that sort of, I really credit that with making my outlook on life a lot sort of different in a better way, like helping me a lot. Um, I think it was like six weeks of counselling and it really, really helped me. Um, in a way, it was kind of a, a blessing and a curse that I studied, like very analytical subjects. I mean, I studied sort of history, politics, and then went on to do a politics and international relations degree at university before then doing a postgraduate in journalism. All of those things are quite analytical. So I'm constantly analysing my own thoughts and my own feelings, which can be exhausting. Um, But at the same time, it's bizarrely quite interesting. I say bizarrely, it's not that bizarre, but it's quite interesting to sort of explore your own mind as long as you don't sort of go too deep and, and get too sort of affected by it um but yeah i I had counselling when i was younger um and it did help it really did help um a lot I, i didn't ever find that medication helped me i've had you know several different medications and for me personally that never helped um that's not to say it doesn't help anyone else because it clearly does it's you know very much an individual thing that you need to test out for yourself and, and, you know, have that guidance from a professional personally, I found counseling and talking about how I felt and, and the issues that were affecting me to, to help me, uh, uh, much more. Um, and that, you know, that, that really helped me, um, you know, uh, so yeah, um, really good on, on, on that front, um, getting counseling, um, the doctor, at first I didn't really get on with my doctors in terms of I didn't really feel like they were particularly interested but then I found a doctor um, that I really got on with well and, and he was really good and sort of gave me some good advice and good support so that was really good. Um, yeah I think
0: that's one of the one of the key things and it depends a lot on luck It's is whether you find um, well, a in your case like a good doctor but also once you get referred on to to someone that you that you get on with them as well and it, it seems to be a little bit of pot luck whether in that first instance you get a doctor that understands and that and that gets it and then in the second instance that you get referred on to a you know a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever who who you can have a rapport
1: with. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing is that the first time you go in The first time you open up, the first time you go to the doctor, the first time you sort of acknowledge that that you sort of have something that isn't quite right, that first experience is going to make a massive difference to you. And if that first experience is negative, then you're perhaps not so likely to, to go back. I mean, personally, I found also another thing that helped me was helping other people um, you know, some of my friends, you know, some of my longest friends, you know, people I've known the longest in my life and you know, I'm closest to, I've I've known through sort of, you know, helping them with their own mental health issues and, and helping them with issues in their own life. I, I very much enjoy helping people. I want to help people. Um, and, and personally, I found that that really helped me. And with them, quite a few of them were reluctant at first to seek help or you know go to the doctor they were worried about what would happen and some of them also went to the doctor and had a bad experience first time but you know and and it wasn't just me obviously but i helped them to realize that just because you've had one bad experience doesn't mean that that's going to be the case for the rest of the time um unfortunately in in most those cases most of those people are sort of in a much better place now, um, you know, and and that's good. And and you know, I've made friends through that, and and it helped me to understand my own feelings and my own thoughts. Um, but yeah, I think what people must really remember and and, and realize is that just because you have one bad experience doesn't mean that automatically the rest are going to be bad. Um, when you're in an irrational state, that can be really hard to know and and to feel and to think. Um, but you've kind of got to find a way to convince yourself that actually it is worth going back. And the other problem is access really to medical, mental health care. And, you know, we're so far behind where we should be in terms of this. I mean, doctors are great and, you know, counselors are great and and, and health. You know, I'm not saying anything bad about the people that deliver the care. You know, the fast, overwhelming majority of of them are great. But it's the system that's the problem. Um, you know, the funding isn't there. Um, you know, the creeping privatisation of the NHS is not going to help anyone other than the people who can afford to go private. Um, you know, the, the lack of funding to councils for early intervention. You know, the most important thing in terms of the system is that we catch it early. Is that we have you know someone in every school who has that kind of pastoral care that isn't just you oh you've hurt yourself um you know let's sort of sort that out you know someone who you can actually go and talk to I mean I was lucky enough to have a teacher at secondary school who was just amazing like he would listen to me and he genuinely cared and, and wanted to know how I felt and what was going on with me I was so fortunate to have that um and that kind of helped me along but not everyone has that Um, And I just think it's it's just such a crying shame that and it's frustrating and and annoying that we don't have the way the system is is just so wrong. It's so focused towards treating the symptoms and not just and not the cause. We need to switch that around to be at least equal. You've got to at least treat both at the same time. You can't just ignore the causes of the problem. You know, there's so many causes of, of you know, within society that, that we could change that would help people who are anxious, would help people who are depressed would help people with you know mental health issues. I mean that there's obviously also a difference between someone with sort of anxiety and someone with schizophrenia, for example you know some that, generally speaking someone with schizophrenia requires more intervention um, you know, but ultimately, Coming back to the point that you were making and, and and the question, don't be afraid to seek out help from a professional. It is important to find someone you connect with. That may not happen initially. You may take a little while to get there, but I'm pretty sure that if you keep going, if you keep pushing and keep trying, I know it's hard, but you will get there. I I found that out personally.
0: Yeah, and kind of moving on from that a bit. What how have you found? working in an environment like football has been for both personally, for your own um, well-being, but also how it treats players, um, staff uh, and all the people kind of involved in the game. In some ways
1: it's been amazing. Like it's the best job I've ever had. I mean, look, I've, I've been working since I was 17, I'm 27 now. I've been working part-time or full-time since I was 17, whilst I was at uni, whilst I was at college, I was working. Um, and, you know, I've actually been fortunate enough that in most of those jobs, whatever they've been, I've had someone that I can talk to. I've had someone who's supportive and, you know, I'm very lucky to say that. Not everyone will have that. Um, it was quite weird. I mean, I was in a quite a bad place really last summer. Um, sort of, it was July when when I got a message on on you know, from uh, Ed Mallion, who's the managing director of the Athletic. Um, at the time, he was the sports editor of the Independent. Um, he's a Palace fan, and I've known him for you know sort of for a while. Um, and um, he just sort of said, oh, what what are you doing for work?" And I was like, well, that's "Such a," you know, and he sort of said he'd have something, he might have something for me. Um, and then, you know, eventually time came and, and he told me what, what it was. And you know, I was like, wow, like, I can't think of anything I'd rather do in my life as work than this. Um, people will look at the job and think, you know, that's the best job in the world. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm extremely privileged and, and I love my job. I think it's you know, great and I really enjoy it. But there are a lot of stresses and anxieties that come with it. And I think you're going to get that in any job, whatever you do in your life, you're going to get that. Um, but it's about how it's managed and, and the process and the people. Um, and also, I suppose, what causes that anxiety. I mean, as I said earlier, like calling people up that you don't know, trying to get quotes from them or trying to get stories from them or you yeah, know whatever, um, and build those relationships. And also like the competition with rivals as well, I suppose, like your you're out there, you've got to get those stories first. There's a pressure to get that story first. Um, and also like you're reliant on people replying to you as well. Um, and there's kind of that unknown there. Um, and for me, you know, as someone who has an intolerance for uncertainty, uncertainty, that can be quite stressful and, and obviously anxiety provoking. Um, I'm working on something that I think is quite big at the moment. And, you know, I've been trying to sort of collate all the pieces together, um, and that can take time, and that can be frustrating. Um, you know, I wrote an, a, a piece about Everich Ize, who Crystal Palace have just signed from QPR for sort of 20 million pounds, one of their biggest signings. I think it's like their third, or it could be their third biggest signing of all time, um, value-wise. And um, you know, at, at one point it was looking like we wouldn't get a piece. From it, you know, it was looking like how, you know, no one was answering my calls. Couldn't see anyone. You know, no one was giving me what I needed. And then, luckily, you know, I tried tried hard and, and, and got there. And, and I had a bit of luck, of course. But you know, I spoke to people I wanted to speak to, and luckily they they you know, were willing to talk. Um, I suppose the fact that you're relying on other people to an extent is is a an anxiety thing. Like you, you're anxious about relying on other people cause you don't, you know, you can't predict what people are going to do. Um, but, you know, it's so much better than you know, doing sort of a process driven job where, you know, you're in an unsupportive environment uh, you know, with potentially unsupportive um, you know, people in charge of you um, who don't really seem interested in your personal progression. Uh, whereas at the athletic, um, you know, they really care about you as a person and they want you to be okay. They want you to do well, but what they realize is, I'm not saying it's just for their own benefit, but what they realize is that as a person, if you're not in a great place, if you're, if there's problems that you've got or whatever, then how are you going to work your best? Um, So if someone's got a problem, then there are, people there and there are processes there in which you can d- use that, um, that that will help you, you know, to, to, to get back to you know, functioning uh, as best you can um, but working in football you know, football is a really brutal world um, you know I like to watch academy football in particular um, I've watched Crystal Palace's academy for probably about six years seven years maybe um and so many of those players sort of get released at a young age um there's players that you watch at sort of when they're 16 17 18 and they um they end up sort of getting released at 19 20 21 and 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 you're like that must be so devastating for them um to to get released from a professional football club like and not all of them will have the foresight to know. And that isn't a criticism of them. Like It's just how it, how it will be, unfortunately. Not all of them will have the foresight to know that the chances of making it as a professional footballer are extremely slim, even if you're in a professional academy at 18, even if you get a professional contract. Um, I, you know, I think I, I might get the stat slightly wrong, but something like 0.1% of kids who are in an academy at the age of 12 in English football made a professional appearance in the Premier League um, ever. And, you know, uh, That's just astonishing. So many of these kids. Um, you know, but equally, I think football is moving on to, to a better sort of understanding of welfare. Um, it's not there yet. And this isn't specific to Crystal Palace. Um, You know, just to be clear, like this is across the board at every level, every club. Um, You know, some clubs will be better than others, of course. Um, Some clubs have better facilities than others. Um, But ultimately, football is a really, really brutal world. Um, It's elite sport. And I think, I suppose in a way, it gets held to a different standard than, than other elite sport. Certainly like, say, athletics. Um, by supporters and by, you know, I think people are so invested in it. And not to say that they're not invested in other sports, but the way that people are invested in football in particular, certainly in in this country, um, is so intense. It means so much to so many people. Um, And I think people sometimes lose sight of the potential impacts on individuals um you know referees players you know i think everyone's guilty of it because it's almost like you become kind of desensitized to it because you know it's almost like the herd mentality i suppose when you're in a crowd you act differently don't you um but yeah i mean in in terms of kids particularly it's very hard like they need to make sure clubs need to make sure they're doing the right things giving them the education that they need because obviously it's going to impact on their education. So they need to go to training. Um, so clubs are working hard with that. You know, I think, um, Crystal Palace Academy is now category one, which is the highest level of category that you can be. Um, they're investing 20 million pounds or so into their academy. Um, they're going to have a full-time psychologist, um, which you know, I think is really important. I think every club should have that, both academy and first team. You know, um,
0: does, it, does it surprise you that, that they haven't done that before?
1: Um, well, football's had like psychologists before, and but I don't think they've always been full time. Um, you know, Palace previously had um, Jeremy Snape, who used to work with the ECB, England Cricket Board. Um, you know, for example, I think when Alan Pardew was manager, I think perhaps Alan Pardew knew him. Um, you know, he was around. Um, I think there probably are like sort of part-time psychologists around as well. But yeah, I think it does surprise me because I think over the last maybe ten years or so, football has become much more aware of the impact of like mental health, for example, on players. Um, and, you know, just as things like uh, diet and nutrition are so important for elite players, perhaps football has misunderstood in the past how important footballers' mental health is to to their performance. Um, not just that, of course, like there is a, a genuine concern over their welfare and there has to be. Um, and I think it's something that they should probably have you know, implemented in earlier. Um, it's not like it's a new thing to have a, you know, to have psychologists. I'm pretty sure I, I'm not a massive rugby person, but I feel like um, the England World Cup two thousand two, I think it was Rugby World Cup winning team, I'm pretty sure they had you know access to psychologists back then. So it's not it's not a massively new thing. But um, yeah you know, I think I just think it's so important and I just think the other problem with football and and this isn't anything to do with the coaches I mean perhaps there are coaches out there who uh, you know who are not perhaps the best at it but that's more to do with individuals rather than the structure and the way it is but you know these players at 18 are going to go into a brutal world at 22 23 of first team football They've got to learn how to deal with criticism. They're going to get criticised online. They're going to get abused. As much as that is entirely wrong, it's unfortunately inevitable, particularly on social media. Um, and, And they need to learn how to deal with that. So it's a balancing act of how do you make sure that these kids are prepared for what is going to come without you know, basically doing that to them without being insulting, without abusing them, you know, what, you know, because there are unfortunately examples in the past of people in sport who have unfortunately abused kids in whatever way. Um, how do you prepare kids for that in the right way? And that's really important. And that's something football needs to come to grips with. And at the moment, I'm not massively convinced that overall in, in you know all the leagues across the world, that is something that it has got to grips with yet. I think it's getting there, but I don't think it's there yet.
0: I think there's also a kind of um, an opinion from, probably mainly from the more casual football fans, that these players should be immune to... Uh, to feeling bad or should be immune to mental health issues because they're well paid. And I think yep. I've seen um, Crystal Palace players like Andros Townsend, I think, has come out and spoken about yep. his mental health, um, Danny Rose as well. So, can you see it kind of changing that players are more open to talking about something that could potentially be perceived as them being? Uh, as them being weak? It's obviously not, but it, yeah. is it, it's clearly a good thing that players feel like they can come out and talk about their vulnerabilities. And is that kind of being encouraged by clubs now?
1: Definitely. I think, I I, I don't know, I can't answer whether or not it's being encouraged by clubs, but I certainly don't, as far as I'm aware, I don't think it's being discouraged. Um, I think this is more players taking the opportunity you know, of their own accord to do these things. I think also as journalists, as a journalist, we have a responsibility to tell people, you know, our job is to tell people stories, to tell people things they don't know. And, you know, one of the things that I have learned, particularly at The Athletic, is is about, you know, my boss, you know, the, the editor-in-chief, Alex Kajelski, the one thing he'll always say is tell people something they don't know. And I think, you know, this is my first time as as, as a full time journalist. I did some freelance stuff previously. And I think that's something that I really try to do in everything I write and every every person I speak to. I try to learn, you know, tell people something they don't know, and you know, what what we don't know, and what I think people are interested in. As much as people are interested in in football and about like you know, what what you. Know, uh, what a player does on the pitch, we don't know about footballers' lives that much. Yes, there obviously needs to be an element of, of, of privacy, and, and you, know, you, you know, people don't care about the ins and outs of footballers' lives. But the way they think about the game is directly affected by the way they think about life, and and you know, their mental health and their emotional health. Um, and I think you, you said Andros Townsend there, and I I interviewed Andros Townsend. Um, you know uh, sort of around the start uh, start of lockdown and you know we didn't talk about mental health but he sort of opened up about uh you know I, I guess it kind of was related to and you know he talked about being immature when he was younger at Tottenham Hotspur uh, with Mauricio pochettino um and how you know uh, that could have made his career a bit different how he you know probably should have stayed at spurs and you know, probably shouldn't have he you know, should have listened to what pochettino was telling him um and obviously he he's talking he's talked openly quite a lot about losing his brother um and and grief is going to have a big pro a big impact on anyone's life um and um you know he talked openly as you say about mental health and I think the reaction to his tweet in particular which I think had the clip in it was largely positive you will always get those people that you know don't understand who are ignorant and I think it's about education as as with a lot of things you know it's about educating people and getting them to see that you know footballers just because people are well paid it doesn't mean that they're not going to experience mental health issues like the rest of us can um you know elite i would be surprised if elite athletes perhaps aren't you know sorry let me rephrase that so i would be surprised if it wasn't the case that elite athletes maybe even are more more sort of prone to mental health issues um simply by nature of the pressure that comes with the job um just because you're really good at something doesn't mean that you necessarily have loads of confidence in yourself or doesn't necessarily mean that you are always happy or you know you're not experiencing mental health issues just because you'll get paid a lot like money has nothing to do with happiness in that sense not in, in you know you could have all the money in the world and still be depressed, still have anxiety, still have some kind of mental health issue. Um, And I think, you know, Danny Rose as well, being so high profile, obviously Andros Townsend's high profile as well, but, you know, both those two players, um, you know, it's just really good to see that they are speaking out about their mental health um, because, a lot of kids, in particular, will look up to these players. There'll be kids, you know, who have Andros Townsend as their favourite player, Danny Rose their favourite player, um, and they'll be like, if he can talk about it, then I can talk about it. Like these people are, whether they like it or not, they are kind of role models. I know people don't like sort of that kind of you know, idea that football is a role models, but unfortunately, I think they are to an extent, I'm not saying they have to you know, behave in some kind of saintly way, they should be free to get on with their lives. But ultimately people look up to them is what I'm trying to say. People may be influenced by what they do. That is obviously inf- you know, personal responsibility there for the people who are influenced rather than on the people that are influencing them um, in, in, you know, in, indirectly. Um, so if someone, you know, if if someone like Andros Hansen speaks out about mental health, then that's only a good thing, and luckily, most of the reaction is positive. But more importantly, it this it stimulates a discussion, and maybe that stimulates a discussion at home in people's homes with their kids, for example. It doesn't have to be with their kids it's with their mates. You know? you know, oh, did you did you hear what Andros Townsend was saying the other day? You know, he was talking about how. You know, he struggles with his mental health, and you know, I've never thought about that before. And I can really relate to that. And maybe then you start that process of thinking something in someone's mind that then sets them on the path to getting help.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's arguably one of the most like powerful. Obviously, footballers don't go into football to, to become role models. They kind of it kind of gets put upon them. But when they speak out about. Issues that are close to their heart, and you know you can see a lot of that at the moment. I think, I think, I don't know if it's something that's been encouraged, but this generation of, of players seems to have been much more open about talking about causes that are really close to their heart. You know, you see like the fantastic stuff that Jordan Henderson did at the start of the pandemic, and then Marcus Rashford now, and then obviously Danny Rose and Andrus Townsend. They seem to be much more open about actively having I suppose it's projects outside of football but it's it, it, it's having the ability to really talk about something they care about and making a difference and it seems to have changed with with this generation of younger players I don't know if that's something you would you'd agree with
1: I think so I think um you know 10 years ago it, it would have been much different there would have been players. Uh, I think that is partly just the way that society progresses or hopefully progresses. Um, and I think, you know, I also think that mental health problems, I'm sure there's data to back this up, but mental health problems are probably going to become more prevalent as, you know, unfortunately, you know, the world is always going to be somewhat unstable. Um, but we live in a very unstable time at the moment. Um, you know, uh, Politically as well, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, obviously, coronavirus, Brexit, uh, You know, what's happening in America uh, with Trump and also Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, There's a lot of different things going on and, and, and the world will always have those sorts of things going on but I just think at the moment it's particularly pronounced. Um, and I would imagine that that has an effect on people um you know, and as you say i think i'm not saying it has an effect on 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 footballers although i think black lives matter is something that you know has, has been really good to see the way that um black players and and not just black players but also their their teammates who aren't black you know white players as well um speak out and speak out in a in a way that you know talks about their privilege and and they appreciate their privilege. You know, nobody's saying. I think you know, my colleague, one of my colleagues, um, wrote a really good. Uh, I'm not going to turn this into sort of a, a discussion about um, Black Lives Matter, um, but one of my colleagues um, uh, said something that that I, I found really interesting, and I'll, I'll try and find it and come back to it. But um, you know, I think the whole thing at the moment younger players are probably more inclined to talk about their mental health more openly I think that is something that is just happening more in in society and I think the more that that happens the better basically
0: yeah absolutely Um, and just to wrap things up we always ask um, what you personally do to look after your mental health you mentioned exercise is a big thing for you
1: yeah. So, I mean, as I said, really, um, for me, it's it's mostly exercise. Um, although, unfortunately, at the moment, I'm not really doing too much of that or enough of that. Um, you know, uh, I think, as I said, talking to people is my main thing, really. If I feel like I'm in a position where I'm struggling, then I'll generally be open about it and talk to people. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have understanding people at work. Um, friends from work as well um, my mentor don firefield who's been you know covering football for what must be 25 years now um he's really good as well i know that i can go to him um especially if i've got you know con- issues around um you know work that, that affect me um you know he's really good at sort of giving me advice um even ed the the managing director he's very much open as well Um, so I'm very fortunate that I can be open to people and I would always encourage people to try to be open Um, and I just think as I said you know exercise being open and being willing to sort of acknowledge that there's something going on Um, even just going for you don't have to go like running or whatever or jogging or swimming or whatever I mean obviously it's a bit more difficult in these times i mean just going for a walk and getting some fresh air um and trying to meet up with people um you know go somewhere that you know you can get away from the unnecessary excessive noise that pervades modern life if you can get away from that then that will help you
0: yeah that's really great advice and where can we find more about you read read about your work in the athletic
1: yeah so um you can sign up to the athletic um we are a sports website prime and in the uk we cover football um and i cover crystal palace particularly um we're all about sort of giving you in-depth analysis and you know really good stories rather than your kind of clickbait stuff that You might read elsewhere or quotes from a press conference. As I said earlier, we want to tell you something you don't know. We don't want to just regurgitate what other people have said. Um, We're all about telling insightful, interesting stuff um, without the pressure of loads of deadlines. Um, So you can sign up to The Athletic. Um, I think we've got a a deal on at the moment. Um, I think it's £1 um, a month at the moment um you know, we've we've just launched our our news site um you know within within the app um or you can you can follow me on twitter as well at matt woozy um you know and and yeah um that's that's pretty much where where you can read um what I write
0: brilliant Matt that's been really interesting and and good luck for the start of the season
1: thanks Harry and just going back to, to what I said about my colleague I, I can't find the exact quote but he he wrote a really good piece on um, on sort of the knee I suppose and on Black Lives Matter and, and he sort of said nobody's asking um, you know white people to um, you know to sort of have it worse off to be worse off or anything like that all, all that we're asking is that all that all that people are asking is that they acknowledge their privilege and and use it to advance equality Um, And I can only strongly agree with him and, and, you know, Ryan Conway, our, our Derby writer that was, that was saying that. And, you know, he's been really good, I think, you know, on, on that matter. And I think, you know, that's something that's affecting people's mental health as well. You know, people and, you know, I think, you know, black and minority ethnic people who are feeling that society, you know, who, who are discriminated against by society, I think, any kind of discrimination in life, whether it be because of your race, because of your gender, because of your sexual orientation, whatever it is, and and this does apply to football as well. It it definitely happens in football. That can affect your, can and probably will affect your mental health. So, you know, I think speaking about, speaking out about injustice in the right forum, in the right way um, can be really important for mental health. But just to finish with, I would say, going back to my main sort of takeaway from from this chat is be open be honest as best you can and seek out help from whoever you trust
0: yeah i think that's a a perfect place to leave it thanks
1: cheers harry thanks very much
0: hi everyone i really hope you enjoyed that episode just a quick note to say that although the things matt and i discussed we may find helpful we're not trained health professionals If you're struggling with your mental health, contact your local GP or NHS service or call a charity like MIND on 0300 123 3393.